This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact? You can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. The Talksport Fan Network is proudly supported by Muck Delivery, bringing you the food you love. Muck Delivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with Muck Delivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Podcast. I'm Ben Stanfield, at Ben Stanners on Twitter, and the host of the podcast. Now, as you may have noticed, depending on when you were listening to this, of course, this is our second podcast this week, hastily arranged after Saints made the decision to sack Maurizio Pellegrino about an hour after we posted episode 28, which was particularly kind of them. Joking aside, it was probably not too unexpected after Saints' recent winless run in the Premier League and a quite embarrassing performance at Newcastle. Swiftly, within 40 hours, in fact, Saints announced Mark Hughes as the new manager until the end of the season, eight remaining league games. To discuss all the goings-on of the last few days, I'm pleased to be joined by Adam Leach, Chief Sports Writer at The Daily Echo, and Steve Grant, owner of Saints Web. Steve, starting with you, I know you're just in the door from work, but how's things? Yeah, good. Um, relieved, I think, is the uh, is the word on the, on the managerial front, I think. <laughs> it's, it's just been... The whole thing has just been a prolonged agony for, I mean, realistically, since that Leicester game back in what November, whenever that was. Yeah. Um, I mean, you could have you could have made a justification for pulling the trigger after pretty much any game between then and now. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think a lot of people are just so frustrated that we're kind of now in a situation where we kind of don't feel as if it's. Even though we're outside the bottom three, it's not it's not necessarily in our own hands because we've just left ourselves not that many games to kind of give ourselves yeah. any any sort of leeway on it. Yeah, I was thinking about it. The I was I was on the way to work. The, um, was it yesterday? And I was thinking to myself, it's almost the difference between having private medical cover and waiting for an operation on the NHS. You knew that you were in pain months ago. You could have probably got it sorted within a week if you really wanted to, but instead you've decided to wait two and a half months to uh, finally get that operation through the NHS, which will probably be a record in itself. But yeah, that was the analogy I was thinking of, uh, Steve. Probably uh, I should have probably been thinking about something more important. But there we go. Yeah. I mean, it's... I think people at the club just didn't want to admit that they'd screwed up. Agreed. Yeah, agreed. Um, and it's just people just trying to save face. But the longer you go on, the more ridiculous you look. Because every other, more or less every other club down there has, has acted. I mean, West Brom are the only ones who haven't really seen any sort of upturn at all. And everybody else has kind of done something that's prompted a, a bit of a 
um, bit of a change of pace and a change of results. Absolutely. Um, yeah, yeah. Hopefully, R1 will will prompt that. But as, as I say, we're running out of time. Fingers crossed, absolutely. I feel like we're deep into a podcast already here. It's good. Um, Adam, I was going to say, it's becoming a bit of a full-time job, this podcast. It was supposed to be a hobby and a bit of fun when we started out. Now we're doing it every other day. Yeah, this is my <laughs> second uh, full-time job covering things. Uh, I wish, I wish <laughs> we could paid for it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, come to regional journalism. I get paid about as much as this uh, for this as, as you do in the wonderful world of regional journalism, that's for sure. But yeah, yeah. wow, what a week. What There's a week. No, no such thing as a quiet week at St. Evan, really, is there? But this has kind of been uh, a pinnacle. Oh, I think this one pretty much takes the biscuit. I think I probably said that about 20 times before in the 16 <laughs> seasons. But if you were ever going to do it at a time to uh, totally stuff everybody, then in between trips to Newcastle and Wigan, given that Wigan's an FA Cup quarterfinal, so all the hoopla and the supplements that go with that, this was about about as bad as you could have made it, probably. Um, and especially then when you end up announcing everything uh, just well, well, where most people have gone to bed. Yeah, I know. Uh, I know. Doesn't, it doesn't help matters either. That's why they've done it, isn't it? Do you reckon? That's why. That's why they've done it at this at this point, just to just to screw over all the journalists. Yeah. I um, don't. I I I honestly don't think it's uh, that Machiavellian. <laughs> I I, I have a, I have a theory that um uh that probably Les Reed could to make taking out the bins last all day. To be honest, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know how, but it does seem everything seems to be in slow motion at, at times at Saints. I don't, yeah. I don't really know how. I don't, I don't honestly think it's a deliberate tactic. I, I, I really don't. But um, I was amazed, uh, not not so much with P- Pellegrino because the timing of that just happens when the decision's made, and then you think you've got to get on with it. But obviously the Hughes thing was um, kind of everybody knew about it, and and you know it didn't seem any rhyme nor reason it would be that late, but. Um, I suppose all that matters ultimately is, is it got done in the end. So, uh, yeah, I guess from their point of view, job done. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, some, someone was saying yesterday that Hughes was representing himself. How can it possibly take that long? And then someone else made the other point that he probably had, uh, they had to sort out Mark Bowen. And I'm just going to call him Eddie because his surname is far too complicated. Um, but, yeah, I, I said it was probably just the Southampton way. We like to drag things out, whatever it is, whether it's signings or uh, – Ill, uh, you know, ill-timed performances. We like to drag things out for as long as we can, really, don't we? So uh, there we go, there we go. Let, um, in this episode, we're going to um, hear from Steve and Adam on their views about the managerial change. And um, I should just add, obviously, we were hoping to have Lucy with us, but she's unwell, so um, it'll just be Steve, Adam, and myself. Um, we're going to speak to Greg Baker, head of Saints Foundation, about the new Sea City Museum exhibition that Saints are opening on the 29th of March, and there'll also be another chance to hear our preview of Wigan Athletic with Barry Worthington, host of the Wigan Athletic Progress with Unity podcast ahead of this weekend's FA Cup quarterfinal, which was obviously recorded pre-Pellegrino sacking. This is Total Saints podcast, episode 29. Adam, we covered off in the last episode that Saints may have been considering replacing Pellegrino, particularly after the dreadful display at Newcastle, and so it proved... Um, before we talk about Mark Hughes, I, I wondered if you could just sort of sum up Pellegrino's time at Saints, if, if you can, and I guess your own emotions towards him going. Well, uh, yeah, I, I, I think in the end it was become it became increasingly inevitable after Newcastle. I still get the impression um, that they wouldn't have acted even in the in the face of a defeat there, probably had it not been for the manner of the performance. I think I think they were wary about. Um, taking the gamble of, of, well, if you get rid of him and there's nobody there that you're desperately keen on to bring in, 
uh, at the time when they were looking at it, you know, m- much earlier in the season, then uh, if we get this wrong and things go even worse without the stability of, of having the same man in charge, then we could be in, in really big trouble. Um, I think that the thought that there was any kind of gamble to it disappeared after Newcastle because I think that they probably looked at it and concluded that it would be hard to for things to get any worse than that. And I, that would be a fair conclusion to reach. Um, it was a, a low, um, as we discussed, I won't go over it all again, but it was a low, the likes of which we haven't seen for a very long time. Uh, I guess when I look back overall, over Pellegrino's time in charge, uh, you, well, there's not been many wins and results speak for themselves. Um, and he knows that as well as anybody. Uh, do I feel some sympathy with him? Yes. I, I absolutely do. I um, I think that in the end, uh, I guess that I feel that this is probably the right move um, to, to do what they've done. But I, I think he has been targeted a bit like Claude was. He has been made a scapegoat like Claude was. And I think that people's frustrations um, should not just be aimed at these two individual people. And I think that that's, that's why I feel some sympathy with him, because the same as I haven't seen the same from him, but the same as I've spoken on the pod before when I saw Claude after that last game of the season last year, when he was just getting the most vitriolic abuse, um, which was completely uncalled for and unfair. And I thought he didn't deserve that, even if you didn't like what he was doing. And Maurizio hasn't as well. And you, you have to conclude this is two managers in a row that have had largely been given the same squad to work with. They've ended up playing largely the same way. Is it just the manager's fault? Because I think that there's a few people who are who are just so on the manager's back the whole time that, that I, like I said, I feel some sympathy with Maurizio. And I think the last, uh, probably the last straw, the last the last chance to sort of help him and save him came and went in January when obviously he clearly needed help in the transfer market. The club clearly needed pepping up. Um, and, and they managed to bring in one player and that was it. And, and it was never looked likely to be enough, no matter who was in charge. In the end, yeah, it was probably inevitable that he's got the bullet. And as Steve rightly said at the start of the pod, it's not a lot of time now for Mark Hughes or, you know, and it wouldn't be time for anybody else to turn it around. But they are still alive. They're out of the bottom three. And uh, and they've got to just try and move forward as best they can, really. Um, but uh, you look at it now. And I almost think, forget Wigan, the decisive moment is West Ham. You look at the season now and it feels like, uh, without wanting to be too uh, melodramatic, it feels like the season hinges on that. I remember back to when uh, Harry and Jim famously came in to try and save Saints the last time they ended up getting relegated. And I can't remember who they were playing, but they were at home, weren't they? And there was that feel-good factor and they were winning, I think it might have been Middlesbrough. Middlesbrough. And then they conceded that 90th minute uh, equaliser and that huge deflation just hit everybody and it was that feeling of oh yeah well it's it is kind of the same players and it, this, the, those problems aren't just going to magically change because the manager changes and I, I think that will be the key for Saints really at West Ham if they beat West Ham uh, in a couple of weeks time I can really foresee them getting out of it if they were to go there and lose that game well, the, you, your bounce, your bubble is burst immediately and then you've got to play Arsenal and Chelsea and things are, and things are looking bleak. So if it's going to happen under Hughes, 
I think he'll be well aware that it has to happen straight away. Absolutely. Was that Stuart Downing that scored the equaliser? I'm trying to think off the top of my head. Do we, do we yep. just see like two goals in the last three or four minutes? Didn't we? One, one was two an own goal. goal. Injury time. Yeah, that was it. I do remember that game. Yeah, uh, there we go. Bank goal. That was one it. Men- yeah, yeah, yeah. One for the memory banks there. Brilliant. Um, I'm glad we, t- I'm glad we brought that one up. So uh, no, cool. Look, <laughs> <laughs> um, no, Steve. I, I, obviously, you've, you know, I think you've given your view on Pellegrino to a certain extent, and I think all of us will probably agree with you, most of the fan base. But just to sort of finish talking about Maurizio, he, I, I guess someone that just never really seemed the right fit from the outset, really, did he? It was just a baffling appointment. Mm. Um, I mean, when you if you if you think back to the um, when Claude Puel was sacked and the club put out a statement saying that the style that we played towards the end of the season wasn't what we were looking for. It wasn't attack minded enough, and and that when Mauricio Pellegrino was appointed, they made very clear that um, he was going to bring bring a new sort of verve and enthusiasm, and that we were suddenly going to be running through teams again. And yet, if you look at his entire managerial career, there's no evidence of any of that. Mm-hmm. Um, Alaves, I mean, yes, they're, they're one of the smaller clubs in La Liga, but they basically went on the defensive in every single game, didn't matter who they were against. They got some results against the likes of, against the big guys, against Barcelona and Real Madrid, but there was never any sign that he was going to be able to produce the style that the club was looking for. Yeah. Um, so it was just it was just odd right from the start. I never quite never quite understood where um, where the club's thinking was in that. And unfortunately, yeah, I mean it's kind of proven that way. I should just add, we're a pretty respectable fan base, so obviously I'm sure many of us, like we did with Claude, wish Maurizio all the best. Mark Hughes has obviously come in, Adam, someone who played 60 games for Saints around 20 years or so ago, but not necessarily remembered as a player in in the way that some of our ex-players are. You know, it wasn't necessarily a fantastic career he had, but look, yeah, at least he has some form of relationship with the club. So what, what did you obviously make of his appointment and what do you think he can specifically bring to the players he'll be working with? Well, I mean, it's, it's quite obvious why they've uh, gone for him. Um, they, they are looking for a firefighter and uh, that, that's it, isn't it? A contract to the end of the season is is really a firefighter move, isn't it? They're just trying to find whatever they can uh, now at this very late stage to keep them in the division. I think um, it does smack a little bit of panic setting in um, and perhaps the reality of the situation dawning, given how late it is. Otherwise, you kind of think that they would have just stuck to their guns and, and kept back in Maurizio. I think the the reason that Hughes is there is is that experience. He knows the league inside out. Obviously, he's managed virtually 450 games. He knows how to handle players. Uh, He knows how to set teams up um, defensively, uh, soundly. He's there just to keep them up. That's the number one priority, isn't it? And um, yeah, I think what he'll bring is just, I guess, a a fresh face, a fresh way of uh, looking at things. And I guess they'll just have to hope that that that's enough. They brought him in really initially for a bounce. That's that's really what it's about. With eight games to go, eight, eight league games to go, it's about nothing else than just making the change in the hope that you get the bounce. And that's it, really. I mean, I'm sure longer term, potentially, he could bring other things, but it seems pointless in talking about his longer term qualities at Saints, given that he's got a game a contract that lasts basically eight league matches. Mm. Steve, look, looking at the um, squad, obviously there appears to be quite a lot wrong with it at the moment in terms of you know a range of things really but particularly their confidence and ability I guess both individually and collectively so what do you sort of see as the key one or two things that he probably needs to come in and get to grips with today and, and tomorrow in training? 
I think a lot of it is just there's a bit of energy maybe because we've been kind of sleepwalking through a lot of games this season. I mean, I don't, I don't think, I don't think there have been that many like really bad performances. It's mm. been like the occasional one which had, which has sort of stuck out. I mean, Newcastle being the obvious one because it's most most fresh in our minds. But we've generally done okay. But there seems to have been an, an acceptance that okay is acceptable. Mm. And in this league, if you are, if you accept mediocrity, then you will go backwards, and that's yeah. the problem. Um, so I hope that Hughes's sort of attitude, sort of having been a been a very successful player, and he's he's got a reason, he's got a reasonable track record as a manager as well. I hope that his sort of drive and determination will get passed on to the players, because largely that's that's the main that's the main area where we're lacking. I think. It's a lot of a lot of intangibles. There's not a lot of um, there's no sort of smoking gun. I don't think with with our team. Um, I mean, yeah, you kind of look look through the squad and you look through all all the signings that we've made, and individually they all kind of stack up and they all largely make sense. But there's a overall pattern of a lack of leadership and a lack of pace and a lack of strength. Now, pace and strength isn't going to be able to sort in eight games. We're outside the transfer window. We can't sign anybody. So he's got to work with what he's got. But leadership, there are, there are players out there who should be natural leaders. Ryan Bertrand, Oriol Romeu. I mean, even, even people like James Ward-Prowse and Jack Stevens yep. seem to have leadership qualities about them. And yet they're all silent. Um, I mean, it was noticeable that I don't think a single, single player has made any sort of mention on social media in the last right, yeah. since um, since the sacking, not a single one of them even sort of said, "Yeah, sorry, boss, <laughs> uh, that was our fault for being absolute garbage." I think uh, the only thing that anyone's yeah. noticed is Matty Target liking the Southampton uh, post to say that they just parted ways. I think that's the only thing that anyone's noticed, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, but, so. but he but he likes every single post from Southampton. It's not. A, I don't think that's a. Yeah, I'm glad he's gone. No, absolutely. So yeah, I, I just a bit of. Bit more organisation maybe is what is part of the part of the issue. Um, I mean, for a side that's been so good defensively for the last four or five years, mm. the last probably six weeks we've looked at absolute shambles at the back. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, for whatever reason, uh, Wesley Hoot hasn't lived up to expectations given the price tag and his for, his previous form at Lazio, where he'd been pretty good by all accounts. Mm. Um, Jack Stevens, I mean, for a guy who's six foot three, doesn't win a single thing in the air. He's incredible. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I just think that sort of organisationally at the back, we just don't seem to have a clue. No, no. And, and I guess when you look at it now, I mean, obviously he's got Mark Bowen. I'm going to try and pronounce it. He's got Eddie Nizwicky. Is that right, Adam? Uh, Nizwicky, I think. Nizwicky. I've, I've put a hyphen in it here to try and at least help myself pronounce it. But uh, look, I mean, I guess when you add those two to Calvin, you've got Dave Watson. I mean, you've got a lot of experience there now within the a game. A lot of but... goalkeepers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Which, well, which is ironic when we, uh, well, Alex McCarthy's done all right. But uh, I, I guess the, the point is, you know, there's a lot of experience there that knows the English game. I think, you know, I've heard a few rumours. I'm not saying they're true that a lot of the players were getting frustrated with Pellegrino's coaching staff, that they had very limited, if any, English and trying to get their points across. And obviously a lot of it went through him. But there's now five or six of them there that can take certain players away and talk to them or get involved in coaching a lot more on the training pitch and really try and bring them together for this last period, Adam. 
as you know, I don't I don't really want to talk about the, too much about the training and things like that. I don't see it, so I don't really feel like it's my place to comment on. And, no, and none of us do. And it amuses me greatly that you see uh, Saints put out some training videos and there's they put out a 20 second clip. And every week, obviously, they, they put out a 20 second clip. It's always a, a clip of them doing well. And people are desperate to analyze it. And exact, you could put out the same clip from 20 seconds uh, from this week as it, as was out last week, and people would turn around and go, "See, it was terrible under Pellegrino." And then they put the same yeah. clip out this week. They go, "Look at the enthusiasm! <laughs> this is so." Because people just read into it what they want. None of us yeah. know because none of us are there. But I think, in a more general sense, the truth is, it's eight games. Mark Hughes could be the you know if he is the greatest manager in the history of world football is not suddenly going to turn everything around at Saints he's not going to make the players into something they are not he's not going to be able to make the team into something it is not but what he can do is make them harder to beat try and instill a bit more passion a bit more drive a bit more character um and see if he can get lift the shackle slightly from an attacking point of view and get them scoring a few more goals. Anybody who's expecting him to do anything other than than that and to try and do the basics well, I think has got completely unrealistic expectations. And that's not a slight on Mark Hughes. That, you put Guardiola in there or, or anybody you wish to name. And, you know, you bring Ferguson back out of retirement. It would be the same because ultimately you've got a bunch of players that have struggled desperately for 30 games of this season. The majority of them played last season. And though last season's results were better, the manager still got sacked because it wasn't considered the performances were good enough. He's not got a magic wand, Mark Hughes. Nobody has. He's not magically, I don't think, going to be able to turn this around. But there's a lot that he can do, I'm sure. And I think that that's where he'll be starting. He'll be starting from the very base and, and trying to organise. And I don't think people go to me, oh, he'll come in and give him a great big rocket. He's not going to do that. That would be the craziest thing for him to do initially. He's going to come in and try and put some arms around people, I think, try and build some confidence and some spirit in the squad and try and get them together for what is a crucial little run of run of games they've got after the international break. Wigan, Wigan this week's a freebie because it yeah. doesn't, let's be frank, it doesn't, it, now Maurizio's gone. When Maurizio was there, we were really thinking the wins were important because it had some continuity, it kept things going. In terms of the Premier League, if you say that is the number one target for the club, this week's a bit of a freebie. He gets to have a look at players. I still think they'll get that bounce back effect from Newcastle, so they'll probably win anyway, especially with Wigan having all these midweek games. But um, it is a little bit of a freebie. But the real work starts at West Ham. So he's got a little bit of time there, even though he'll lose some international players, not a lot at the moment. So he's got a bit of time to work with them, to kind of gel them together, to get a sense of what they're about. And and I think that the, getting those basics right uh, is, is where he's going to focus on. Steve, do you agree with that, that it's a good chance for him, almost a bit like a friendly, I guess, um, whilst we obviously want to go through in the cup, but now a chance for him to sort of put out the 11 that he can see playing at West Ham if everyone's fit and see how they work together and then work on things next week? Yeah, I think so. I mean, as you say, we've got the the international break where not many players are going to be away because, quite frankly, they don't deserve the call-ups. Agreed. So, yeah, I mean, by all means, have a look at what you've got. I would like to think that he would want to get off to a strong start. So I don't think there'll be too much experimentation at Wigan, that's for sure. But certainly we should be getting a pretty good, pretty good idea from from that game on Sunday as to how we're going to line up under him, whether whether the system will change. Personally, I think I think the system that we that, that we tend to play 
most of the players are comfortable with. It's just the mm. it's the sort of semantics around it as to how we're the sort of tempo that we're playing at, and also just individual personnel. I mean, God knows what Guido Carrillo's thinking right now. Yeah, <laughs> signed, signed by his old mate. And then, call, and then calling him the master. I saw last week. So yeah. And I mean, no. Let's let's be frank. I mean, no nobody knows whether this guy is any good. We've not given him the ball. We gave him, we created, what, one or two chances for him at West Brom, where Ben Foster pulled off a couple of half-decent saves. Other than that, I don't think he's touched the ball in their penalty area mm. um, for the for the entire duration he's been here. So, I, I mean, I, I would fully expect that, I mean, given what we've, what we've seen in the press today, that Hughes has obviously mentioned all the, the various players that we've signed that he looked at when he was at Stoke. I mean, I would be absolutely amazed if um, Manolo Gabbiadini doesn't start on Sunday. Yeah. And I would I would expect that the the attacking setup will be based around him being the being the focal point. Mm. Um, and quite frankly, it's about bloody time. Yeah, it's funny, isn't it? Actually, just um, Adam, I was going to ask you a question in a minute, but Steve, just to finish on that, because you look at the players that Stoke did sign, you think of like that Ambula in midfield, you think of uh, Yessi, the the guy on loan. Quite a few, quite a few of the players mm. that Stoke signed were linked with Saints at some point, so it was almost like their scouts were looking at the same sort of players that our scouts were, and for for whatever reason, probably for the better, when you look at the amount of money that Stoke probably waste. Actually, it's it's not surprising to hear him say that, really, is it? No, no, I guess not. Um, I mean, ultimately, our budgets are fairly similar. Yeah. Um, I think our our weight, our overall wage bill was a lot higher, but Stoke were more were more prepared to pay big money for individuals. Yeah. Which is fair enough. That's that's um, that's the way they want to run things. Which I mean, ultimately, it works when you've got a player like Shakiri, who would probably get in most of the top six teams. I think. Mm. Um, and I mean, at the end of the day, if we had him, we wouldn't be anywhere near the bottom four. Adam, I know you've not had the chance to speak to Mark Hughes, the manager yet. We're recording on Thursday night, and I think you're going to see him tomorrow. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, good stuff. Um, but I, I imagine, obviously, you've come across him several times before in post-match press conferences at the likes of QPR and Stoke and those sort of things. And I, I saw a tweet you put out yesterday that uh, said Hughes was the 15th manager in your 15 and three-quarter seasons of you reporting on Saints. So uh, that got me wondering whether this is all about you, actually, rather than uh, the, the club and that, that sort of thing. But uh, look, in terms of um, new managers that come into Saints, obviously, as you said before, you pretty much spend your life with these guys, talking to them, getting to know them and that sort of thing. So... When a new manager comes along like this and you need to start a new relationship, do you, do you sort of find it exciting or nervous or a bit of both? Oh, I suppose a little bit of both, really. Yeah. Um, sorry, I don't mean to make it all about me. <laughs> I, just, I, I just literally, because I, I do some lecturing on journalism, and I always tell journalism students, don't just, when you're using social media, don't just uh, tell people what they already know. You know, you notice it this week with a few journalists, our old friend Simon Peach included, and you're just like, well, why are you just putting this out as if it's an exclusive when everybody's reported this four hours ago peachy um but uh yeah so i just always think well i'll just do something a little bit different just like try and put a tiny bit of a different perspective on it so that was uh that was the aim of it anyway oh, but, right, fair um, enough fair enough yeah i wasn't i wasn't trying to steal uh look at me oh i just wondered if it meant that the fact that they just eventually have enough of you and that's why they go well, I mean, that's a possibility. They do. They probably do see more of me than they do their wives at various times of the year. Yeah, we, so we don't need to go down that road anyway. <laughs> I think they do get sick to death of me. And the thing is, like I, you know, like I say, Friday, Mark Hughes unveiling that I imagine the whole world and his dog will 
turn up and then for West Ham it will be back to being two of us again um, as per usual and uh, post-match it will probably be for a couple of weeks everybody want to speak to him then afterwards it'll be yeah again just me asking the only person asking any questions I guess it's a, a bit nerve-wracking to an extent in that you don't quite know what they're going to be like but ultimately you, you do feel a little bit like well I've dealt with so many different managers different uh, nationalities totally different temperaments things like that that you feel uh, fairly confident in your own ability and all you really want from any of them is a bit of respect really you know and that that only grows over time it's very hard you don't just develop that when you meet them and say hello it takes a long time it takes months and months and months certainly longer than Hughes has initially got signed a contract for to build up that kind of rapport um, and, and my you know what I always say is I'm not there to be liked it doesn't matter if they like me or not I just hope that they'll respect me and, and respect uh, my questions and treat them with respect and treat them fairly and uh, I think as long as you do that you hope that in the long run that they will um, they will be all right with you and I think that's just how you have to start uh, every new relationship with a new manager off it's never going to hit the ground running it's not one of those things it's always difficult and especially tomorrow and, and probably the first few weeks when there'll be so many people around you're just a face in a crowd in a way but obviously over time when everybody else disappears most of the time when the, the focus isn't there when the hoopla has gone then that's when you really kind of start to get to know each other a bit more and it's not until they've seen what you're about that they can make a decision as to whether they think you're trustworthy or not as well and and that's all part of the way it goes just to finish up then, Steve, there's eight games left this season now, including Man City, Arsenal and Chelsea. Five away, three at home. Doesn't have to be a one-word answer, but it can be if you want it to be. Will Mark Hughes keep Southampton in the Premier League? Uh, yes. Perfect. Adam, you've been fairly positive throughout, to be fair, I think in terms of Saints' survival chances this season, and uh, certainly, if not positive, then constructive. So, same question to you? Yes. Yep. Yeah, I, I mean, I've, I, I felt all along they were going to stay up. I was more, much more concerned after Newcastle, just that level of performance. But even right up until then, my, my, I was, I thought even with Pellegrino they'd stay up, and I didn't ever think it would be great or it was ever going to be pretty. But I think they would always thought they'd do it. Um, and uh, yeah, I, I see no reason to deviate from that now. I think they will, hopefully, have a little bit of a bounce. And I think, uh, given the situation they're in, they've made a very sound decision in bringing in Mark Hughes. So. Yeah, I think they will. Good. I think from my point of view, I agree with what Steve said right at the outset, which is I wish we'd done this uh, a couple of months ago. But the main thing is we've done it. We've given ourselves a chance. I think as uh, as many Saints fans have said, there was only one way we were going with Pellegrino, really. So fingers crossed we'll uh, we'll start to pick up the probably eight or nine points we need uh, under Mark Hughes. <laughs> Earlier this week, I caught up with Greg Baker, head of Saints Foundation, to talk about Saints' upcoming Sea City Museum exhibition. Here's what Greg had to say. I'm delighted to be joined once again by Greg Baker, head of Saints Foundation. Greg, thanks for joining the podcast again. You were on episode nine back in September, talking about the foundation, some of the great projects you were undertaking then, and also up-and-coming events such as the Southampton FC, then and now exhibition at the Sea City Museum on Havelock Road. With the exhibition almost upon us, we were keen to get you back on again to remind our listeners what the exhibition is all about and what it's celebrating. First and foremost, thanks for inviting me back on. Just uh, a great opportunity to talk about what we're doing with the Sea City Museum. So for the last couple of years, we've basically been working with the guys at the City Council, so the Arts and Heritage team at the City Council, to pull together 
an exhibition about the club. Um, so a lot of the history of the club, but also some of what goes on down at the training ground now in terms of sports science, um, recruitment, uh, medical innovation, etc., etc. So, you know, really grateful for the people we've been working with. So there's a chap called Dan Matthews at the Sea City Museum has been absolutely fantastic, really been the driving force behind this. And also been, you know, a real pleasure to work with the historians, the club historians. So David Bull, Dave Dewson, uh, Gary Short, Duncan Holly, and Barry Wood, um, to pull together this, this exhibition, which is, you know, there's been some really fascinating things that we found out about the club. Excellent. And, and in terms of you then, Greg, I mean, obviously you have a busy day job running the Saints Foundation. I know this is very much being driven by the football club rather than the, uh, the charity. But um, how, how exciting and interesting has it been for you being able to sort of coordinate and research this on the side? Yeah, I mean, it's been fantastic. I mean, I'm, I'm a Saints fan first and foremost and an employee second. So therefore, actually being able to do this and to sort of have a bit of a passion point is really great. So, you know, I've been really grateful to have the support of the guys that are back of base, I guess, in the, in the foundation. A really, really strong team there who's allowed me to kind of go off and do a few other bits in recent times, with one of which is this project, which I'm doing very much on behalf of the club as opposed to to the foundation. Um, so, you know, so, so hopefully business is usual within the foundation that goes from strength to strength and this hopefully is just another string to our bow um, in terms of celebrating the you know the history of our, our great club as i mentioned the exhibition's obviously at the sea city museum on Havelock road which i think is opposite uh, radio solo and the south today offices i think isn't it off the top of my head yeah, um, it is, yeah. brilliant and, yeah. and in terms of its duration greg when does it sort of start and how long does it run for so it launches to the public on the 29th of march and runs until the 29th of October. So basically it's for seven months. Um, so open, um, I think, 10 till 5 every single day um, across that period. So plenty of time to go down and see it. It's there with the two um, normal exhibitions that are in the Sea City Museum, one about the seafaring history of the city and one about Southampton generally. Um, and this is in the temporary exhibition space where they've had a variety of things across the last few months. Brilliant. And uh, I don't want you to give too much away because obviously we want to encourage people to go along and have a look at uh, all of the hard work you and the team have put in. But what are sort of a few of the things that you've found out during the time of putting it all together that you maybe didn't know about Saints before, Greg? First and foremost, I found out that even though I thought I was knowledgeable about the club, that actually there's people that know far, far, far more about, <laughs> it, about it than I do. Yeah. So in terms of, you know, the historians have got an absolute plethora of knowledge, particularly about a, you know, a passion point for them, which might be the war or might be... Um, photographs or, 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 or something of that ilk. So, been loads of stuff that we've that certainly I found out in terms of some of the saints that went to war, both in the First and Second World War. Uh, we've managed to track down um, the original sketches of the club badge when it was designed back in '73 via a competition. And some of the stuff that we've got, you know, has come directly from the families of, of either players that have, you know, have deceased or, or current players, or certainly players that are very much recent legends. So, we've managed to. Uh, get some some loans from from Matthew Letizia, from Franny Benali, from from Mick Shannon via his family, from Alan Ball's family, various players. James Ward-Prowse has given us some of his stuff to show as well. So there's really some stuff, hopefully for everyone, whatever period of history of Southampton Football Club you're interested in, there will be something there that you can see, you can remember, um, remember going to that game, um, remember buying that product in the shop, remember collecting those football stickers, etc., etc. So really something that hopefully brings things alive. Final question. I mean, in terms of the the football club itself, I mean, we're obviously a, a one club city. And so I guess it just drives home how much the football club has played to the people of the city since its inception in 1885. Yeah, I mean, this is very much obviously in the heart of the city. It's in the civic centre. It's right in the heart of the city. And I think we've always been a football club that has been based you know, very much in our community. So this is just another thing that, that 
kind of hopefully brings us closer to the community, but also gives people the opportunity that maybe haven't engaged with the football club to find out a little bit more. Um, and also those people that are visiting the city that might not normally make the journey down to St Mary's, but actually to come along to the museum, they might be going along to find out more about the Titanic, but engage with the football club at the same time. So actually, hopefully there's a bit of a, um, you know, a newfound supporter base there as well. Brilliant. So just to summarise for everyone that's listening, the um, event is on at the City Museum on Havelock Road. It's from the 29th of March to the 29th of October. The City Museum is open seven days a week, and that includes bank holidays from 10am until 5pm. Um, tickets are £8.50 for adults if you want to visit the full museum and also the Saints Then and Now exhibition. If you just want to go and see the Saints exhibition, it's £3.50 for adults. Families, which is two adults, two children, are £25 to go around the full museum. £11 for a family of four to go and see the Saints exhibition itself. You can find out more at ccitymuseum.co.uk and the good thing is under fives get in free whether you're going for the full museum or and look at the uh, the Saints exhibition itself. Um, Greg, look, thanks for joining us again. We really appreciate catching up and we wish you and the club all the very best with the exhibition. Thanks very much, Ben. Great to speak. Saints get a break from Premier League action now as we travel up to Wigan next weekend for the FA Cup quarter-final tie against the Latics, who won the Cup so memorably back in 2013 against Manchester City. I'm delighted to say that Adam and I are joined by Barry Worthington at Latics Speak from Twitter and host of the Progress with Unity dedicated Wigan Athletic podcast. Barry, firstly, thanks for joining the podcast. It's a, a pleasure having you on. I wondered if you could tell us a little bit about some of your memories following Wigan and uh, a little bit about your podcast. Yeah, no problem, Ben. I've, I've been a, a Latics fan all my life. Uh, my first game was back in 1971. Uh, it was an FA Cup tie, which was against Halifax Town, who, who then were the big boys, and we yep. were a non-league club. We, be, we beat them 2-0. And uh, it was a saying, Wigan, once a Latic, always a Latic. And, <laughs> and once in you know, that's, that's the way it is. And I'm Wigan born and bred, so there's no other, you know, there was never any other teams to support. So I've supported them throughout the years, highs and lows, close to bankruptcy and then the Wheeland stepped in uh, and then we went, went on a, a magical ride all the way to the Premier League uh, won the FA Cup like you just said and um, took a bit of a dive after that <laughs> so, <laughs> so we're, we're sort of bob- bobbing at the moment I mean we're Championship League 1 we got promoted back to the Championship and relegated again to League 1 and this season we're not doing too badly uh, right. the podcast has been running since 2011 and we it's a weekly podcast it's usually every Wednesday but this week it's going to come out on Thursday because we're playing Wednesday uh, yeah. there's five, six, seven blokes do it sometimes we have a few ladies on uh, we've had guests on from Emerson Boyce to Jonathan Jackson who is the chief executive of Wigan Athletic uh, so we get you know we get players on and, and uh, uh, the guys that actually run the club uh, it's it's nothing professional. It's just a group of fans chewing the fat about the latics, and uh, you know we enjoy it. Uh, the, the the name Progress with Unity comes from the, the actual motto of the town. Right, um, right. We used to be ancient and loyal, but uh, that's been changed. You, you know, we had a bit of a revamp in the 1980s, and, and they come up with, with a new branding, and uh, it was Progress with Unity. So we just thought it would be a good idea to carry that forward. 
to show that we're representing Wigan. Yeah, fantastic. And I imagine a little bit like Southampton, Barry. I mean, there's quite a, a lot of fans, I think, particularly when we were struggling a few years ago, particularly the younger fans will want to, to support the Manchester Uniteds and the Chelsea's and those sort of things because that's the teams that are on telly. I think as we've gone back up to the Premier League, there's been more and more local fans supporting Saints. But I guess for Wigan as well, I mean, I, I came up a couple of years ago when we drew to all and it certainly seemed that there was a, a good sort of following for Wigan. But I guess... It is probably hard to try and attract fans to Wigan when they're, they're obviously bigger clubs, so to speak, around the, in the local area. Yeah, um, the population of Wigan Town is 80,000, so we're not a big place. Mm. Um, uh, and as you say, I mean, we've got a rugby club in the town as well. And, and I'll be quite honest with you, it's usually one or the other. There's, yeah, there's, yeah. there's a massive rivalry between two sets of supporters. Not the two clubs, I think the clubs are, are quite quite close but between the two sets of supporters there's a massive rivalry uh, but we've got, I mean we've got United City Everton Liverpool Burnley Blackburton Bolton Preston Rochdale Oldham Bury mm. all, all within 15 miles of us in a radius yeah, of 15 yeah. miles and it's you know some of the biggest clubs in the world are in that so you can understand why we struggle a little bit and like I mentioned in my lifetime we was an non-league club and we only got into the league in 1978 uh, but mm. Oh, we, we we cracked the Premier League and, and the crowds then. I mean, we were probably getting about 14,000 home supporters when we was in the Premier League, uh, which isn't, you know, very good. But, um, you know, it was it, it's still over a tenth of the population of the town, isn't it, when you look at it yeah. that way, which is, is yeah, a, it's fantastic. Yeah. It's fantastic. So we're proud of every single person who comes to the games. We just like one or two more to uh, come along with them as well you know that's the thing totally and, and looking at the current season obviously we're we're reaching a pivotal stage now but we're going to sitting third in league one as well as obviously having reached the the quarterfinals of the fa cup as we know having beaten bournemouth and manchester city along the way so wigan and the the season they've had so far so good oh absolutely fantastic yeah it's, it's, been, it's been a uh, a brilliant season oh I mean, you was in league one not too long ago i don't know if you remember it but I it's do. a fantastic division Yep, it's yep. absolutely buzzing. Uh, all the grounds are like the old time, a lot of old time football grounds. So it's, you know, we, we take a larger way following to most games. Um, and it's just a fantastic trip. Uh, mm. This season, uh, you know, the, the fans have jumped on board again, uh, like we did last, you know, we was in this division two seasons ago when we, we won it and they've jumped on board and it, every week's like a party week. <laughs> but I think what's happening at the moment, the games are, are sort of catching up on us. I mean, we've got four games in hand on Blackburn who are top. Mm. Uh, we're, we've just gone eight points down because we drew on, on, on Saturday against uh, Scunthorpe. But we're looking a little bit of a tired side at the moment. And I don't think it's... It, it, I know we've, it, it might be the number of games in the cup, but I think the, the, the problem's been that we've played a lot of big games. So you mentioned the Bournemouth and Man City, but we played West Ham as well. We beat West Ham in yep, the cup. True, yep, so yep. There, there were three three massive games there against Premier League sides. And then mm. we last... Uh, weekend we played Blackburn and it, it, it was, that's a local derby and we're both at the top so that was another big game and I think it's it's beginning to take its toll on the players now it's just draining them a, a little bit and, and, yeah. and the way we're situated at the moment we've got two games a week now until the end of the season that's yeah. without uh, progressing in the cup <laughs> so, yeah, and, and, and obviously uh, mm. I, I imagine at sort of League One level uh, a sort of certain size of squad as well but yeah I, I know um, obviously I watched the Man City game like I think most of the country did and it was uh, it, it was weird Barry, because I think no Southampton fan wanted to go to Manchester City in the next round of the Cup, but obviously no Southampton fan really wants to go to a banana skin, if you can call that, against uh, Wigan. But certainly on the Tuesday, I think like most of the country, I had the Will Grigg on uh, fire song in my head all day, I think. But uh, <laughs> um, I mean, obviously Paul Cook joined you as manager in the summer. Um, 
I couldn't find much out about Paul Cook between him leaving Chesterfield in 2015 and joining you this summer. And this, this is where I insert the uh, the wink emoji <laughs> there. But uh, look, I mean, in terms of yeah. um, what he's brought to Wigan, I mean, he has a bit of a reputation for being a bit of a, a hard man. And I think, you know, he obviously showed that against um, Guardiola. But I guess in terms of getting the best out of the Wigan players and a bit, we've had a bit of an issue with Pellegrino probably being a bit too nice. I think Paul Cook has that reputation of being quite a tough manager, yeah? Uh, well, he's, he's, I think he's got a bit of, uh, you know, it's a bit of both. He's got, it can be hard when he needs to be, and it can be uh, the best mate when it, when the, you know, when it when it calls for it as well. And I think he's he, he's just he's absolutely brilliant. I as a, a football manager, I didn't really know too much about him because, like you say, he's been out of the game for for the past two seasons. <laughs> wink, wink. Uh, so uh, I mean, he started his career as a player with us. In, in the 80s and, and we sold him on to Norwich City and he was a, a cultured left-footed midfield player he was very good he was only a young lad at the time mm. so and then he came back on loan so so we, you keep your eye on your ex-players but as a manager you know as a manager I'd not really looked into his style of that but I'll be honest with you he's been a breath of fresh air his, his interviews in the local press are fantastic he speaks open and honest he doesn't hide it about anybody being injured he, he lets people know uh, the way he talks about it, he, he never he never calls the players he never calls the opposition he, he's absolutely brilliant and it, yeah. it's just like you, if, if you go into a pub and there's a guy stood on the end of the bar and you just have a chat with him about football that's that's the type of personality the character that he is but also he's got working with him Peter Reid and, mm, and he's mm. obviously brought in a lot of experience and uh, I think he's another character as well, you know. So I think they've got a good a good blend going on. I know he can be a disciplinarian when he needs to yeah. be. And I've heard one or two stories. He makes the players sign in in the morning. He makes them all get there at a certain time, and they have a, a brew together and a chat, and you know, just just to start the day off. And nobody's allowed to be late for that. But on the other hand, he, he sometimes he'll give them a day off, and he's you know he's quite he's quite lenient on on different things with them. So. I, I suppose when you're top of the table, or you know, like we are, and things are going well, um, you can be a little bit lenient as well, you know. But um, the last the last few games, with uh, people are saying the uh, you know the wheels have come off a little bit. I'm not sure they have, but if we don't get uh, we play play Bradford this week, and we've got another couple of uh, we've got another game next week, and if if we start struggling in those, then uh, we might see the disciplinary inside of it coming out. You know. Yeah, no, absolutely. Adam, looking at it from Saints' point of view, I guess it's a bit of a, of a double-edged sword, really, isn't it? Because it obviously takes attention away from the Premier League, but likewise, we're going to face a team committed. You know, we'll smell Premier League blood as they've done with West Ham, Bournemouth, Man City. So, whichever way you look at it, it's kind of can be positive, negative. Well, I guess so. I think from Saints' point of view, the cut run so far has been positive. I think in a strange kind of way, as much as um, I say that, I, I don't think it would be the worst thing in the world, given how bad the performance in Newcastle was, were they actually playing in the Premier League, given they were due to be playing a relegation rival in Swansea this weekend, because I think you might have seen a, a bounce-back effect in a, in a very meaningful game. But for Saints they have to view it as a great chance to get through and there's, a, there's no disrespect to, to Wigan but um, the Saints may be struggling and Wigan may be uh, flying high but obviously there are um, a number of league placings between them Southampton are a Premier League team and the alternative was to play Manchester City away and, with, and again with all due respect to Wigan playing away to Wigan represents a better chance you would think for Saints to get through than playing away to Manchester City 99 times out of 100 that would be the case. So I think from Saints' point of view, they need to be positive. They don't need to fear 
an upset, they need to try and be authoritative and stamp their authority on the game onto Wigan and their Premier League class and try and let it show through and not worry too much about uh, anything else. And and also the fact that, um, that obviously Wigan have had these Premier League scouts. Saints need to make sure they're not another one. Barry, in terms of Wigan... Saints have obviously, I think it's one win in 17 or one win in 18 now in the Premier League, but we have obviously won the, the three um, FA Cup games. Wigan's point of view, I mean, I guess, you know, whilst it's Premier League opposition, bear in mind the teams you've beaten already and the fact you're at home and Wigan fans must be looking at it quite positively as well. Um, I think we're looking at it as a potential banana skin, to be mm. honest with you, because, I mean, yeah, you know, we've, we've, we've taken on Bournemouth, beat Bournemouth, we took on West Ham, who we were very comfortable against West Ham, and obviously we played the best team in the in, in possibly Europe at the moment yeah. and beat them but the same struggling but at the end of the day they still are a, a Premier League club and they've got class players and they've got internationals through the side mm. and that is a, is a big gulf and just because they're coming here struggling in, in, in you know in the division doesn't mean to say that that class won't tell when we were a Premier League side and we went to places like Huddersfield and you know we were struggling the season we won the cup as you'll remember we got relegated yeah. but when we played teams from from you know lower down the, the pyramid our stars were just just too good for them and this is my worry I mean uh, it, I hope the players aren't getting carried because the work rate in, in the, the games have been absolutely phenomenal and I'm just hoping they don't think that uh, they've got you know because they've beaten Man, Man City that they've got uh, sort of an easier attack. I don't think mm. they will do for one second. I don't mm. think they will do. I think we'll give uh, Southampton the utmost respect. They should be the favourites for you know to progress through to the next round, unless he makes a load of changes, which. Do you think he will do? Well, I was going to ask you that, Adam. Actually, I mean, I, yeah, I mean, I, I would imagine my view it would probably be, bearing in mind the calamity that we had yesterday, that those players need to be thrown out there and told to prove themselves. But I, I mean, to be fair, he's played pretty strong sides all the way through so far, Adam, hasn't he? Oh, I think it'll be full steam ahead. They can't yeah. afford to lose games, can they? That's the point. I mean, it's yes, we know the Premier League is is the main thing, but I mean, Wigan, I, I feel for them in a way because they are at a massive disadvantage having all these uh, midweek games they've got to play. Southampton um, have got uh, what uh, just well they've got over a week between matches to prepare for this game uh, to have plenty of rest and recovery from the last game and to and to prep themselves and go out uh, for the uh, for the Wigan tie and then Saints uh, being a Premier League club roll immediately into an international break so they've got another two weeks without a game so there's mm. there's literally no uh, incentive or reason whatsoever not to field the strongest team there's no fear. Uh, in, in in any shape or form. I actually do have a lot of sympathy with Wigan because they've obviously done amazingly to get this far, but you, you would think for them, they've got to have half an eye on, on really wanting to get into the championship. And, and how do you prioritise when you're in an FA Cup quarterfinal as well? And you've got all these matches. It's a, it's a much harder task for them than I think it is for Saints because Saints, there is literally no reason that you wouldn't dedicate your everything to this game because this, yep. this is it for two or three weeks now for them as whereas Wigan blimey they've, they've got a right old fixture pile up I was just going to say Adam that that it's uh, it's the old cliche isn't it one game at a time so you take your next game from our point of view I think that's what Paul Cook will be setting the sign up for there's been no mention of, of Southampton up until we've played Bradford City on Wednesday and as soon as that game's out of the way then the focus will be on Southampton and then when that's out of the way the focus will be on Walsall on the following Wednesday, and that's how, how he's been, uh, you know, 
setting the uh, the lads up in training and that the focus on the, the next game making that the priority and then see what happens I think that's how we've got to take it because them players I mean a lot of them players are, are at a position now with this where it's, it, they've got a chance to make the semi-final of the FA Cup you know a lot of them haven't been in this position before it's a chance to play at Wembley they're going to sort of have one eye on it they must mm. do and I think this is you know people will say we lost against Blackpool the, the, the week before we played Man City um, and it was as though they had one eye on the City game and I think you know the, this big spectre of the FA Cup has affected our squad a little bit but it's up to Cook now to make sure that we just focus on one game at a time because I do agree we can't blow promotion to the Championship that is, has got to be number one priority for us. Absolutely, yeah. And, um, I mean, obviously I mentioned Will Greg earlier, Barry. He's an easy one for everyone to get drawn to. But in terms of the Wigan players that Saints need to keep an eye on, is there one or two sort of superstars from this season that we may not know about? Um, well, obviously there's, there's Will Greg, as you know. I mean, he's got the song and everything. <laughs> like he's scoring, scoring goals. He doesn't score many before Christmas and then he just goes on a, uh, an almighty run after us. <laughs> the last time he was in this division, he'd scored five by Christmas. He finished the season on 27. This this year he's scored six by Christmas. He's got 18 now, yeah. so you can see he's starting to, you know, he's, he's going in his form. Of, of course, we've got Nick Pole as well, which yeah. he, he's like the poor man's Platini. If you remember <laughs> Michel Platini playing for Juventus and France, I do. strutting yeah. around with the ball. Yeah, that's exactly what Nick Pole does. He struts around with the ball, but he's he's he's. he's He's absolutely magnificent and he's a bit of a talisman. And we've seen him win games single-handedly. So, uh, and in the last transfer window, um, Brighton offered £10 million for him. So yeah. you can see what sort of calibre of player is. £10 million for a League One player and an enormous amount of money. Yeah. Uh, and then we've got the young strong heroes at, at the back. We've got Dan Byrne, six foot seven, ex-Fulham. Uh, he played in the Premier League with Fulham for a, for a few, uh, I think he did about 20-odd games with them. Uh, He's been absolutely magnificent. We call him Superman. Dan Byrne is Superman. <laughs> he's, he's a superb defender, left-footed, and at the side of him we've got Big Chair Dunkley, and he's an absolute brute. He takes no prisoners, and the ball's out the ground. One of those old-fashioned type centre-backs, <laughs> blood and thunder. Yeah. yeah. Um, okay. uh, both our full-backs, though, double up as wingers, so that's another thing. You know, they bomb forward. Um, and Nathan Byrne, he, he had a great season at Swindon a couple of years ago, mm. and he uh, attracted a lot of interest. But he's he's ended up with us. He had a, we didn't see much of him last year. We sent him out on loan, but this season he's been absolutely electric. And uh, and Max Power, of course, he's got the name to go with it. It's one of the best. Uh, it's one of the best he, names in football, isn't it? Absolutely. He's only 23, and you know I think he's good enough to, to go all the way to the Premier League. I don't think he's, he'd be an absolute blazing star. I think he's. Similar sort of player to James MacArthur, who, mm -hmm. who came, you know, through with us. If you remember, he's now at Crystal Palace. Yeah, yeah. That type of player. Yeah. Uh, he, he's good. Oh, we've got Sam Marsh, who's our captain, and he's an Egypt international as well. He was at <laughs> Chesterfield with Paul Cook. Yeah. Um, yeah. And there's Gary Roberts as well. But but again, I, can't, he, I can't remember where Gary Roberts played last, but I, I've certainly heard the name. <laughs> but yeah. I think, yeah, Gary Roberts is older than me, and like I said before, <laughs> my first game was 1971. So. <laughs> No, no, I said that he scored, he scored, he scored for us on Saturday, so yeah. I'm not going to knock him too much. No, I saw it was yeah. thrill, wasn't it? But I, I've got to say, Adam, listening to that, I'm kind of worried about those two centre backs and our delicate flowers up front. 
I hope the Saints players haven't listened to that. <laughs> Barry's psyching me out a little bit. With, uh, I'm yeah. quite confident for Saints, but he's, yeah, the way he's talked them up, I'm, I'm, I'm a bit concerned now. No, absolutely. All right. Well, just to, to finish then, Barry, um, we, we normally end with uh, ill-fated predictions. So, um, so your, <laughs> <laughs> um, your, your predictions for uh, next weekend's cup tie then, what do you reckon the score will be? Well, uh, I, I know you don't score many goals. We don't. And uh, up, up until the last four weeks, we've, Hardly conceding any, but we've conceded a few this last four weeks. But mm. I think we'll tighten up. So I'm going to go. Uh, I'm going to go for extra time and then the dreaded penalties. So I think. Um, well, who knows? I'll just toss a coin and say we'll go through on penalties yeah. by four. Cool. Everyone will get their money's worth then, won't they? So uh, what do you reckon, Adam? Well, uh, despite Barry's attempt to cite me out on this, I think <laughs> I'm going to stick with the fact that I think Saints will have a bounce back. Uh, I also. I think with most of these FA Cup runs um, for, for a lower league team, that they kind of hit a peak at some point and, and then it's quite hard to follow up. And Wigan have kind of gone from one point you thought would be a peak to another, to, to the ultimate peak of beating Manchester City. And I wonder, just with all these games and, and perhaps a slight, slight slide in their momentum, that maybe it might just be... Uh, a good time for for Saints to play them, so I, I am going to go for a, a Saints win. I don't think it will be easy for them, but I think maybe they'll, you know, maybe squeeze out a two nil win. Perhaps. Yes, blimey. Yeah, okay. I think so. Good, good, all right. Well, I got a good. Ben, ben yeah. I have to tell you, Barry. Ben is the most pessimistic <laughs> fan that you'll ever come across. So. Yeah. You're yeah. probably going to like this prediction. <laughs> right. he, he, okay. He, he, reads, he reads me like a book, that guy, I tell you. Um, well, I, I mean, I, as I say, I went to Newcastle yesterday and watched an absolute shambles, so nothing's going to change my mind. Um, I, I've actually gone for uh, Wigan to win 2-1 an extra time, so uh, um, you're quite right, Adam. I reckon that they will have too much spirit and too much fight for us, and I don't think we'll, uh, we'll fancy it. So you probably like that, Barry. I reckon you're going to win 2-1 an extra time. Well, that'll do. Another trip to Wembley, I'd love that. Um... I just hope it doesn't interfere with us going up his uh, automatic promotion spots, that's all. Just to let people know who are coming up on the day, if they're coming up on, on the train, uh, it's the Wigan Run Festival that day, which includes a family mile, 5k and a half marathon, and it uh, and it goes past the train station, so there's, there's going to be hundreds and hundreds of people around there, So, uh, it may be, and we're going to be shutting some roads off as well, so maybe... Uh, just all a, a little bit of time, you know, to get up. Excellent. Well, we've got a, a good cap of uh, Wigan Football Club there and um, some travel news as well. All right, Barry. Now, that's brilliant. Well, thanks very much for coming on. Okay. Very much appreciated. And uh, what, whatever happens next uh, next weekend, wish you the, the best of luck for the rest of the season, Barry. All right. Cheers and same to you all as well. Bye-bye. Thanks to Barry, Greg, Stephen, as ever, Adam Leach for joining us on this week's podcast. Please, as always, feel free to give any feedback and you can email us at totalsakespodcast at yahoo.com. We'll be back after the West Ham game in a couple of weeks' time. There'll also be a competition out next week, a chance to win two VIP tickets to the opening of the Sea City Museum exhibition on the 28th of March. In the meantime, keep well, keep marching in. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximise your home ground advantage with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.